0: The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com. In yoga, Surya Namaskara falls in the field of controversy, first of all because it does not appear in any yoga book. It's not part of the yoga lore of India actually, it is taken from some Vedic texts, it is taken from some Hinduistic Vedic texts, so it has a totally different nature. However, Surya Namaskara tends to be very popular, even in Hollywood movies, if somebody does yoga, actually they show them doing the sun salutation. Many people would say, oh, what yoga have you learned? I have learned the sun salutation. For this reason, we are having a double reaction in yoga. The most traditionalist yoga teachers, they simply abhor the sun-salutation and they say the sun-salutation is such a westernized, Americanized, fast food, fast cars, fast enlightenment, fast sex, fast yoga thing that we don't want to touch it. It's kind of... uh, Many people have come to define it as uh, sun-salutation is a kind of the yoga of the busy men, aren't we all? Um, sun salutation is the yoga of the businessman or something and many people actually lie to themselves with this sun salutation it's a kind of keeping a clear conscience, you know, have you done your yoga today? Yes, I have done some sun salutations. Some yogis would say forget about it, you know, if you did some sun salutations it's like you went to aerobic you know, it's not the Uh, don't put it in your yoga book like you did yoga so some people would simply abhor it and you say it's something more superficial than the superficial so we don't want to touch it that's why I know yoga teachers who simply refuse to teach it they say first of all it's not from the yoga books you don't find it in the traditional texts of yoga in Pata Yoga Pradipika in Giranda Samhita whatever you'll learn about those treatises, and therefore it's not yoga other people on the contrary for the popularity of it they notice that people like it and uh, if it is done brainless it's even better because then you can uh, flip a lot and basically uh, they teach this surya namaskara for the vested in the benefits of it simply the fact that it actually attracts people Uh, Many people would ask themselves, why are people actually attracted to Surya Namaskara if it is so little bit of yoga? You see, one of the main problems, and you are going to understand it very soon, in a few days, when we start dealing more and more with your mind. One of the problems, the major problems of yoga, and of any spiritual education, is that the mind, yes, your own mind, and mine, and everyone's mind, is a nasty animal. The mind is defined by some yoga text as being a crazy monkey not just a monkey yogis living in the jungle they have observed the monkeys as they wander aimlessly now they sit now they jump now they scream now they chase each other now they fight for a banana now they stay quiet again that's how the mind is it's a kind of aimless machine with total lack of discipline. You cannot imagine a monkey sitting half an hour for meditation. A monkey won't sit, it doesn't have the patience. That's exactly the way your mind is. Everyone's mind is restless and indisciplined. And the most major problem of everyone who ever did spirituality on this planet, either the fathers of the desert praying in the desert or the Zen Buddhists meditating in Japan and the yogis is taming the mind, the mind is the greatest catch, the mind is the greatest problem, you cannot tame the mind and the bad thing is that the mind is inside your head, actually most often you believe that you are your mind and therefore the results are work with yourself, when you fight with your mind you actually fight against yourself and therefore a part of you says I want yoga and the part of you says no 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 this yoga is driving me crazy that part which says this yoga is driving me crazy is the mental monkey the yogis didn't say the mind is like a monkey they said the mind is like a crazy monkey that means double as much as a monkey and some yogis have said it's like a crazy monkey drunk or stung by a scorpion that means triple as much in agony completely wild and so on Because that's exactly how the mind is when you look at it from yoga. Try to realize, some of you have been here for three days, this is the third day, and your mind, I bet, it has already started. Oh boy, we are going back to the yoga hall, had so little time, and now that orange guy will start again. Eyes closed, attention, oh boy, I'm getting crazy, you know. Let's have some action, you know, let's do something, let's pack and go the hell out of here. That's the mind. The monkey refuses taming. It's like a wild horse. If you try to tame it, it will jump and make wild things avoid taming. It's exactly the same thing with the mind. Your mind is a wild animal that needs to be tamed by gentleness, by force by perseverance, by a mixture of factors, you need to bring your mind to discipline. Because it is not permitted that the mind should not listen to you. It's your mind, it's not you who belong to the mind, but the mind belongs to you. And Therefore if it's your instrument, it's like your hands. It's supposed to obey to what you tell it. If your hands won't listen to what you tell them, you'd be fried, you'd consider yourself severely impeded. And yet our mind doesn't do what we tell it to do, and we live with it, we say, hey, well, what to do? What to do? That's exactly what is the issue. Tame the mind. That is why people in yoga, they have so easily embraced yoga as gymnastics, because yoga without concentration of the mind is the paradise of the mind. You do Pashimotanasama or whatever, you don't know that one, and while you do it, you think about the shopping mall, you think about your grandmother, you dream, you drift, hooray the mind has free field to go wherever it goes the mind has cheated you that is why when you put the concentration of the mind it's a totally different dimension suddenly the mind says oops no 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 not this again no 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 we won't have that that's exactly the reaction of it and that is why um, okay people find sometimes yoga boring okay what to do yoga or aerobic oh aerobic is fun why Because in aerobic you think about whatever crosses your mind, right? The mind enjoys it. Music, oh yoga with a little bit of music, dancing yoga or something. Courage, it would be nice. It's all the game of the mind. Remember that there is a merit in sitting down and being quiet and focusing. The mind needs exactly this, stability, centering. And now that I have said this, It's obvious also with the sun salutation. The sun salutation is dynamic, you move, you breathe, you bend, and many people will find in it a kind of license to lose concentration. I mean, uh, if you do something dynamic, breathe in, breathe out, pray, the mind can jump. No, it actually cannot, that is the issue. Either you do it in the jumpy way and then it becomes nothing, then it becomes diversion from yoga, and then some yoga teachers would be right to say this is not yoga, we don't want to touch this thing and I or if not you have to do it right, which means you have to do it with perfect focusing of the mind with stability, understanding what the energy content is that is why my observation being since many years that people actually like the sun salutation because even when it is done right with the right mind focus they actually get some beautiful things from it and it is charging them with the energy of the Sun there is something about the Sun there as you see the solar energy Uh, I have decided to keep it in the program to teach it but I have to teach it the right way that means at least what I think that is right I have to teaching I have to teach the Sun Salutation with concentration with the awareness of energy telling you for what it has been made, what is actually this sun salutation, and therefore where should you put your mind when you do it. If it is done in this way, then automatically it can become a spiritual technique and people derive a lot of advantage. So this being said, now I'm trying to speak about this controversial technique, I told you where the controversy is, I'll try to explain you what the Surya Namaskara is. As I said, Funny enough, it's not a technique from yoga, but yoga is so comprehensive because it asks you to understand things that you can take it from wherever it comes and put it in yoga and do it in a yoga way. Like when I do this Surya Namaskara, apparently I'm getting a very beautiful energy. Apparently I'm getting a very beautiful concentration. So if I know what it is, then why shouldn't I do it in a yogic way? every such technique will generate a resonance will generate a mood will generate an energy if i understand that i can turn that into a yoga technique theoretically we can say and you are going to see the day after tomorrow that we start with that that for example i can listen to music and if that music can create let's say courage then i can use it as a meditation i can use it as yoga it is a yoga which creates Courage. I turn on the music for courage, go into it full, full of courage in 30 minutes. That is a yoga actually. So you can make many things into yoga once you understand this thing with the energies, with the chakras, with the levels. Now back to our story. Surya Namaskara therefore, although it is not originally coming from yoga, is a fo- can be turned into a yoga exercise. Then let us see what it is and where it comes from. Surya Namaskara. Namaskara is Namaste, is the Indian Salutation. Surya Namaskara is Namaskaram to the Sun, Salutation to the Sun. What does it mean to salute the Sun? It simply means that you somehow imply that the Sun is not something, but someone, somebody. That means that the Sun is somehow alive or conscious. Well, we know about it, haven't we heard that all the old cultures, they were worshipping the sun, the sun god, both to the Mayans, and Incas, and Egyptians, and Indians, and Japanese, and you name it, everybody, the Greeks, the Romans, everywhere, the Scandinavians, the sun god, right? Well, to be able to understand this view, and to see how can we turn this to yoga, You have to understand that this view, which is coming from Hinduism, from the ancient Vedic tradition, is related with a view which philosophically today on earth, we call it animism or shamanism. Now, if I am to be purely scholarly, I would say that there are some differences. Animism and shamanism are not completely identical, but for the purpose of this lecture of today, for the purpose of this issue, they are almost the same, so we put them in the same category. Animism and shamanism are a view, they represent a philosophy of the world, seeing the world in a certain way. And amanism, animism and shamanism, they are characteristic generally to the most old cultures of this planet. We would say that they are characteristic to primitive civilizations. Sometimes when we say primitive civilizations, especially until the 19th century the Europeans and the Westerners they are very proud that they are are the only real people and everybody else were heathens, barbarians, primitives, aboriginals, whatever. So it's very easy when you say primitive to put everything down. Like primitive means that they never build skyscrapers, they never build railroads, they never build airplanes and therefore they are trash, they are nothing. Today we have re-evaluated and sometimes we say primitive, primitive, but they were more happy than us, they had more respect to nature, they were living more in harmony with their neighbors and whatever, so sometimes today primitive is not such a jeering uh, word, is not such a putting down word. Nevertheless. Animism and Shamanism are characteristic to these primitive societies. For example, most of the cultures of Africa, of black Africa, are animistic or Shamanistic. The Red Indians in America, they had a spirituality which was of the Shamanistic type. The Siberian Shamans, of course, were Shamanistic. Shamanism and Animism you find everywhere. We can say that even the Wiccan type of witchcraft these women uh, doing herbal teas in the night and whatever, uh, the people accused of witchcraft in the Middle Ages in Europe, they were basically a subcurrent a parallel culture to the Christian Western culture which was shamanic, witchcraft and this kind of thing, belong or would belong to shamanism mostly what is so, we would say that many many cultures the Incas, the Mayans even today the Indians from the Amazon, the Indian cultures from the Amazon, the tribal cultures from India, from different parts of the Indian Peninsula, many things which happen in Tibet, in Mongolia, as I said, in Siberia and so on, many subcultures like this, they are animic or shamanic. What is the characteristic of animism and shamanism? What is the outline of it which brings us to this sun salutation? The shaman or the medicine man of a primitive animistic culture, he believes that everything in this nature is alive, that there are hidden spirits of the nature which somehow are associated with the most trite things around, that everything in this nature is alive and conscious, that there is intelligence in the nature even where we see only just nature just biological life for example the shamans exactly as the witches in the old days they would believe that there exist spirits of forests like the fairies dancing in the forest uh, that there would be existing gnomes these little 12 inch little men who come on christmas time with red heads and so on that there exist salamanders that there exist mermaids that there exist undines that there exist sylphs and uh, whatever other, now they don't come to my mind. Anyhow, entities of nature, spirits of the nature. There are spirits of lakes, there are spirits of seas, there are spirits of mountains, there are spirits of trees, there are spirits of forests. Basically, the whole nature is alive. And if you are friendly to the nature, you can communicate with the nature. If not, it will not work the same way. Let us give a few examples to see that this is a view which existed in very concrete terms. For example, let's take the Tibetan shamans. The Tibetans had an old uh, cult before Buddhism came to Tibet which was purely shamanic. It is called bun or bunpa The Tibetan shamans considered that every mountain, every valley, every power place has its own spirits these spirits, being neither good nor bad, being a little bit like a dog, you know, if you piss it off, it will bite you, and if you tickle it, it will lick your hand, it depends how you behave with it, it's kind of neutral spirits of nature. So basically the Tibetan yogis would say, for example, building something in a place, just you decide you want to build a building somewhere, you are actually trespassing, because in that way, there must be, there might be some spirits living, have you asked permission for building your ugly building in that place? Because actually by doing that you are chasing the spirits of nature from their own habitat. It's like northern people, Scandinavian people, say that the more people build cities and railroads and streets, the fairies have withdrawn north. So today there would be fairies only in the north of Norway and in the north of Sweden, in those almost polar forests where, which are still virgin, where people don't step into and so on. Believe it or not if you go today in the north of Sweden in Lapland people still speak about fairies and gnomes and you'll find people in villages who tell you that they saw them. That they actually have been in the night in the forest and sometimes they saw the fairies dancing in a circle of blue light and stuff like this. This is stuff of fairy tales right it is very difficult for modern mind to go into this. Nevertheless this is the shamanic view. The shamans pretend that for example they can create rain by summoning the spirits of the nature. The North American shaman, he would dance a dance, he would smoke his pipe, sometimes it will be a bit psych- hallucinogenic, psychedelic pipe with stuff in it. He's dancing the whole night with the whole tribe, and in the morning they get rain. That he can do rain, that he can propitiate the spirits of nature for a good hunt. So when they go to hunt buffaloes, they would say, Okay, we are 200 people in our tribe We need 20 buffaloes to have meat for the whole winter. Right. So then the shaman goes in a trance. He meets with the father of all buffaloes, with the spirit of the buffalo species, and he talks to this collective spirit and says, please allow us to take 20 members of your family because we need to feed ourselves. He makes a kind of a deal and when he feels it's okay, he tells to his hunters, to the warriors of the tribe, go, my braves, and bring 20 buffaloes, not more, please. So they go, they hunt ecologically 20 buffaloes, they take it, they bring it, it's a kind of we live in harmony with the nature. The Tibetan shamans, the bontas, they would for example say that even earthquakes are produced by demonic entities. When you read the life of Padma Sambhava, the the one who introduced Tibetan Buddhism, Tantric Buddhism to Tibet. Padma Sambhava was the first one who built a Buddhist monastery in Tibet. And when he was building it, it was demolished every day. Every day they had an earthquake, and because they did build without cement, they just put stones on top of each other in Tibet at that time, they just had these stone houses, it fell down every time. And then he got, I mean after the third time or fourth time, he realized, because he was a very intelligent person, this is not natural, it's too much, I mean an earthquake happens now and then. But a tremor all the time, this is not right. So he went in his, in a trance, get out in his astral body, and he discovered that there were some earth demons which were shaking the ground because they didn't want Buddhism there. Buddhism was too spiritual for them. They wanted something more gross, you know, so they felt provoked by spirituality being brought in that area. So then Padma Sambhava in his dreams went and grabbed the demons, knocked their head a little bit, and said, what the heck are you doing to my monastery here? Because he was powerful, he could do these kind of things. And the demons immediately like a dog, they put the tail down and they said, well, you are the boss, tell us, you know. So he said, now you are not going to disturb my work anymore, and not only this, you are also going to become supporters of Buddhism. So he transformed them into the so-called Dharma Palace, the guardians of Dharma, the guardians of the law. This is a purely shamanic view, that's what a shaman would do. He believes that there are spirits of the place, and you can talk with them, you can propitiate them, you can bend them, you can conquer them if they are nasty, you can make them some offerings if you want to be friends with them, and so on. The Tibetans, for example, consider, and many Lamas of the Buddhism, they have actually seen this in their visions, that there exist spirits of mountains. So they say, if you climb a mountain, It's an act of arrogance because you are trespassing, and when you put your foot on top of the mountain, aha, I conquered K2, then you are actually putting your foot on top of the head of the spirit of the mountain, so to say, metaphorically. So it's an act of arrogance. If you don't ask for permission, and if you don't do something to make this spirit friendly, accidents will happen. The demon will feel offended and will take a blood toll. So every tenth. Nerd who goes to climb the mountain dies. It's the blood price for trespassing. So basically, the Tibetan Lama say it's non ecological tourism that people, that they just come stressed up from their cities and they come to Kopangan or they come to the mountains to throw their uh, stress and then suddenly you hear that there was an avalanche in the Alps in Switzerland and fifty people died caught by an avalanche and their child and you know, the avalanche happened exactly at two o'clock when everybody was to eat it didn't happen at four o'clock when everybody was out skiing no, it happened exactly when everybody was eating this is disturbing the nature, disturbing the spirits of the nature being in a state of disharmony according to shamans so Tibetan shamans would say you want to climb a mountain without problems then propitiate the demon of the mountain make some prayers say some mantras offer some incense offer some rice offer some water make some offerings of energy and then you will go and when you will go there will be no storm there will be no sudden avalanche there will be nothing another one who goes like a nerd because he says yeah spirits of nature the heck with it exactly when he's in the middle in half an hour there starts the storm of his life And he said, oh, bad luck, you know. This is how it is in the mountains. The weather changes out of the blue, like this. The Tibetans would say it wouldn't change. There is no accident. Only nerds believe in accidents. The nature is not accidental. Everything comes from causes, from very determined causes. I told you all this, and I will continue with giving you a few examples, just to show you that in shamanism and animism, they have this belief. It's not necessarily that you should become a shaman or a member of a primitive community or an animist. The Australian aboriginals believe in this and they do rain and thing and whatever. They believe that they communicate with animal species and so on and so on and so on. Even in the western tradition, for example, you would be surprised to know, if ever you want to research this, how did people conserve meat in the 15th century? Because there was no ice producing machines at that time disappeared only with thermodynamic machines, and there was no refrigeration or anything. So how did people conserve meat when they had a lot of meat in the 15th century? You'd be surprised, they had uh, people who knew how to call onto the bees. Yes, onto the bees, you have heard right. They hang the meat in a room and they had it guarded by the bees. So the flies could not come in and bring any germs. So the meat would just dry, being protected by a bee house and these people consider that they can talk to the soul of the bees because they consider that the bees actually represent an entity they represent an intelligence, a collective intelligence in which each bee is like a cell in a body and all together are it. So, I could tell you again many stories of this and you are going to hear a few here just because I am trying to show you the angles of this to see where it comes from and actually where is the point with Surya Namaskara. So, the shamanic, animic view says that there are spirits in mountains, in valleys, in lakes, in trees, you know, you have heard it, it's the stuff of the fairy tales, it's the stuff which the old people always believed. It's you find it as, oh, as late as in the 19th century, in Denmark when I came first, I read a lovely, adorable little story with peasants from Jutland, Jutland is the backward part of Denmark because it's countryside and people there are old fashioned and so on. So story with peasants from Jutland 1850 a man is plowing his land and while he's plowing his land the iron of the plow bops into a big stone or something so he stops his cows his oxen whatever they are he goes back and when he goes back he discovers that actually the iron of his plow has hit into something which looks like an oven a bread oven only that very small something like this side and actually the iron of his plow has damaged it has kind of broken it So then this man, because he is a peasant from the countryside and superstitious, he digs it back, he places it horizontally, he takes some cow dung and some clay and makes clay, you know, and plasters it, and fixes it and covers it back, makes a little sign that he should not go there again and so on. Next day, it's maybe a legend, it doesn't matter if it's true, it just shows us a certain popular mentality. Next day, he goes there to see what has happened in that place. And to his surprise, he discovers a small a piece of cloth, very fine and as small as a handkerchief, and on it, two little breads. Somebody has offered him two little breads for being kind. This kind of stuff is all over, that there are underground creatures, that there are creatures which manifest in the physical world and so on. In Romania we have an area in the north of the country where there are still people who say that they have seen the fairies. There a legend about a guy who was kidnapped by the fairies and he came back after a hundred years. His family was gone since long time. He was considered disappeared a hundred years ago. Suddenly reappeared. He was still 20 years young and all he could remember was that he was in the forest with some beautiful women who kept on making love to him and things like this. It was a beautiful time with some women in the forest. But meanwhile, 100 years had passed and he was completely out of his time. You can hear a lot of stories of the kind. They all show that all over this mankind people are actually having this trick of belief with spirits of nature. So basically the shamanic Thinking says everything is intelligent. If a mountain has actually invisible spirits attached to it, then what about a tape recorder? What about a computer? What about a bicycle or a car? The shamans would say, yes, there are spirits of objects. That is why if you treat your tape recorder bad, it will break very quickly. There are people who are technical catastrophes, even electric bulbs burn for them three times as fast as for everybody else. If they buy a tape recorder, they screw it up in three months, and there are people who proudly show them their roller tape tape recorder since 25 years ago, which is still working, and they're very proudly they say, look, my old tape recorder is still working very good. This thing, for a shaman, would show a good cooperation between the person and the spirit of that, it's especially visible in the case of computers where so much intelligence is there and the shamans would say why would you refuse to accept that a spirit can get attached to the circuitry of a computer after all a, a spirit is attached to the circuitry of your neural cells so why shouldn't it attach to another kind of structure if it can be attached as well to a mountain or to a tree so basically they say you can talk to the nature you can communicate to the nature you can actually exactly as you give love to your dog and the dog is devoted to you because it is enjoying the love that you give to it you can love your bicycle and then your bicycle will not make you too much trouble it's your dog the bicycle is an inferior spirit a very primitive spirit which is doing your service it's a kind of symbiosis between the human intelligence and the others That at least is the shamanistic view. Again, we are here in yoga, I'm not trying to make you shamans, because I myself am not a shaman. But I'm trying still to point for you what the shamanic point of view is. It's not an argumentation pro-shamanism. I'm not trying to tell you if this is true, or if I see it that way. I'm simply trying to tell you that this is what shamans would say, and this view is very widespread. Therefore, you know, there are people even who fall in love with their computers and they cannot get out of the computer and they have to go to psychotherapy for computer addiction. There are men who instead of having sex with women they just stay with their head inside the computer and they can't get out of there and stuff like this. It is happening also in, incidentally, if you want to see the similarity to bee producers, very often people who have bee houses they are mostly men, you will very seldom find women growing bees and that is significant and those men very often they look much younger than their age and many people say, see it's very healthy to eat bee products because look how young Jack looks because he eats honey and walks and whatever he is eating there and actually these people very seldom have relationships with women or if they do, their relationships are very often platonic, non-sexual, something there is a catch there, I'm just calling your attention that there are similarities but you have to look into it if you really want to see what is what. This world is full of mysteries. There are mysteries everywhere, but we people sometimes we are not receptive to the fact that wow, we should seek, we should be seekers of what is mysterious in this life. So back to our story. The shamanistic view, let's make a resume of what I said. The animistic, shamanistic view says there is intelligence, life, spirit in everything, even if you don't realize it in stones, in trees, in lakes, in nature, in mountains, and yes, in your bicycle, in your tape recorder, and in your computer. Small little entities, small little spirits, which can become a pain in the ass for you, or they can become friends to you, depending as you, of what you make out of it. And now we come to the point, the old Vedic culture, the old Hinduistic Vedic culture, was actually a Shamanistic culture. And because of this, and they are not the only ones, I told you, almost everybody was shamanistic in those days, they believed that there are spirits of nature. And out of all the spirits of nature, the most preeminent for them was the spirit of the sun. Because you have guessed it, if there is spirit in Mount Himalaya, if there are the ruling spirits of K2 in the Himalaya, then also there would be a spirit or a form of intelligence an entity behind the Sun. The Sun, from a physical standpoint, is a ball of fire, of hydrogen, under perpetual fusion, or whatever the scientists would say. And for a shaman, the Sun is also the biggest spirit in this solar system, the central spirit of this solar system, the one which coordinates life and existence even scientifically, at the most cold mathematical level, we would have to admit that the idea at least is right. If there were no sun, none of us would exist. We actually owe our existence in this planet to the sun, because without the energy and the heat given by the sun, there wouldn't exist the earth as such, and there wouldn't exist the possibility for life and consciousness on this planet. That is why, in a poetic way at least, we can say we are very grateful to the sun because actually it is from the sun that we have received life and we have received the possibility to exist. We are receiving the light and everything from the sun. Okay, it's just a dead object for the physicists and the yogis would say we can look at it exactly like this because the yoga is not shamanism, right? Yoga is an, is an entirely different story. So the yogis analyze the energies of nature and the states of the psyche. And therefore the yogis say you can do the sun salutations in two ways. As a shaman would do it and therefore then you would try to get a personal contact with the sun. That's how the old Vedics did it. But some people would say, no, I cannot put myself into that state of mind, I am too much of a modern mind. Uh, We have lost this uh, candor of children, to be like children, to talk to the sun as if the sun is someone. It's too much for us to accept. Okay, then the yogis simply say, you will admit, however, that the sun is the source of life, vitality, energy in this universe, in this solar system at least, and that without the sun your existence will be curved. So basically, I am admitting that I am getting the light, the life and everything through the power of the sun, even if I am utterly materialistic and absolutely not at all spiritualistic, still this is a truth, that I am getting my life from the sun, ultimately. So in this way, uh, basically the yogis say, look, if you want to go in the Surya Namaskara in a yogic way, not in a shamanic way. The shamanic way would be a little bit like the tantric way, especially the Tibetan Tantra is very much a shamanic thing, that's their talent to personify different forces of the universe and of the psyche and to present them under a human or some kind of form as gods and goddesses. All those gods and goddesses are just symbols. The same is valid about the Indian Tantrism. For example, in India you can go and find statues of a black goddess, a beautiful black goddess, frightening at the same time, which is the famous mother Kali. But actually for the Tantrics of India it is very clear Kali is symbolized as a goddess, but actually she represents time. To meditate on Kali, it means to meditate on time. It is time which is black like the universe, and which is frightening and whatever, because time kills everybody, time ends everybody, time destroys everything and everybody, so it's a crusher. Therefore, time is actually symbolized in a way but how many people will understand the theory of relativity or the mathematical and physical Princeton University speculations on time and space. Not many people, that's why for illiterate people the time was presented as an allegory, as a symbol that this is the mother of time, so to speak. So in this way, this is the way they created all these symbols in India and Tibet. Yoga is not necessarily of this kind. Yoga is not uh, the Tantric tradition. The Tantric tradition is one, the Yogic tradition is quite different. That is why the Yogis say, look, either you go into the Sun Salutations as a Shaman would, and that's up to you. I found people who had this soul of a child and they said, why not? I can try it like this. Okay, my mother would think that I'm crazy because I'm trying to make friends with the son but who cares what my mother thinks after all. I'm just trying, it's like a game, let's see how it feels, it's nice. If so many people from the Egyptians and Mayans and Incas and Japanese and they could believe in this and they could go into it, why shouldn't I try to go into it? Just to see what comes. Other people say, no, 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 it's too much. Now this is too much. It is reaching, I am, I am ashamed of myself to do this kind of thing. Right. Then there comes fortunately the yoga way. The yoga way simply says, whatever the sun is, we don't know. Okay, maybe there is a spirit behind the sun, so to say, but we don't see it, we don't feel it, we don't know anything about it. Forget about it. We are not going to see what we can't see. But we know that from the sun there comes a beautiful energy, a beautiful influence which sustains life, which is life-giving, which is light-giving. Okay, could we harmonize our aura, our chakras with this thing? Wouldn't it be healthy? Wouldn't it be healthy to be in harmony with the source of life and light of this little universe of ours? Of course it would be healthy. And therefore, it is very good even from a yogic standpoint to harmonize with the sun. To harmonize your energy with the sun. Then the sun salutation becomes exactly that. An exercise by which you harmonize yourself with the sun. So, which way you are going to perceive the sun salutation it is entirely up to you it's your choice, here you are not pushed neither one way nor the other it's up to you to do your own experiments a yogi, a dry type of yogi would do it more like a physicist like a scientist and say it's energy the sun, I can feel it it's harmonious, it's beautiful one who would like to become a witch a shaman, a medicine man he would say no, I can try to go into this and feel the sun on another level, whatever That is eventually up to you. So basically, that is what the sun salutation originally was. It was a Hindu procedure, ritual almost, if you want to put it, which would make one communicate with the sun, which would make one salute the sun. It's like in the morning, the sun is coming up, and I'm saying, hello, sun, my good old friend. Here I am. Don't forget me. I am harmonized. You know, every day I kind of reset my aura with the Sun. I am in harmony with the nature because the Sun is actually governing all the rest of the nature. The nature on this planet is willy-nilly synchronized by the Sun. We cannot run away from that. So, this is the story about the Sun Salutation. I would, I could have insisted even more in telling you how it is possible that you should conceive that behind a piece of machinery, or behind something, there is a spirit, but I think there is no need to go now in that direction, time will pass too much and basically that is the origin of it the yogis have picked it up, and some of them, some of the yogis were Hindus or tantrics, or whatever and they said, okay, we can do this it's nice actually to have an exercise for the sun, some of them were more agnostic in this way, some of them were more dry, and they still said, okay, it's good for the health, it's good for the body to actually do this exercise of the sun. This is where it comes from. Incidentally, in the Vedic tradition, there is also a Chandra Namaskara, a salutation to the moon as well. Uh, That one is not very practiced because the moon is giving resonance on Svadhisthana Chakra, so only if your moon is very disharmonious, very impure, very out of balance, then you might wish to do the Chandra Namaskara to harmonize with the energy of the Moon but the Surya Namaskara is the one which is the most uh, practiced also because you know in the opposition between the Sun and the Moon the Sun is actually the source of light and the Moon is just reflecting light, it doesn't have light in it so basically among these two the, still the Sun is the light giver, the life giver and all the others that is why many things in Indian history they are called solar. Rama is a solar hero. He's like coming from the light and so on. I'm telling you all this just because I want you to see a lot of things in your mind connected with this solar influence. Uh, Now I remembered a lot of things which I did not say when talking about shamanism, animism and the others, but I will not turn back there, Uh, if you have more questions I will be able to illustrate some of these things uh, from this shamanic, animic view, because it is very practical, they are just dealing with it very practically and sometimes it works. One of them I would like still to communicate to you is the famous Findhorn experiment, one of the roots of the New Age subculture, is some 25 years ago in Scotland, It's called the Findhorn experiment, today there is a community in Scotland which is called the Findhorn community, it started with a man and two women who bought a barren piece of land somewhere in Scotland everybody told them you can buy that piece of land for nothing because it has never yielded any agricultural production it's a bad soil, it is sandy, it doesn't hold water you cannot really grow vegetables or trees or anything in it so you can buy it for nothing so these people bought that barren piece of land and so on and then they did it because one of the women had the capacity of talking to these spirits of nature, she was a bit of a witch and she could go into this so she every time that they are planting vegetables, trees, whatever, this woman, and together with them, they would pray to the fairies, to the spirits of nature, telling them, look, we have planted a tree, and it is a tree in which you fairies also can find joy, and play in it, and whatever. So, supported, so it should grow, because it is your nature as well. And in this way, they reported all kinds of incredible things which can be stuff of imagination. Like in the morning, the whole soil was dry, drained of water because it was sandy, but the place where they planted the tree, it was wet, like two meters around, like somebody had watered it the whole night, it was holding water miraculously. It can sound as a childish uh, naive naivety, naiveness, But the funny thing is that these people from Finhorn, they made the biggest biodynamic firm in Europe. They managed to grow tomatoes as big as this or something. They managed to grow the most incredible vegetables without fertilizers, without pesticides, on a a ground where everybody said you can't do any agriculture. They are only pesticide and fertilizer was prayer to the spirits of nature, asking for support from the spirits of nature. The experiment worked for 20 years or something, There are today trips, people take trips to Finnhorn. Meanwhile it became a very crazy new age stuff where all kinds of lectures on aberrant subjects in my opinion at least sometimes are given, but still the community exists, the farm exists and when you go, you get flabbergasted. There are people who go to Finnhorn just to see this miracle that people managed to do incredible agriculture just with the, spri- with the support of spirits of nature, because one of them was crazy and you could see spirits of nature. In Iceland, the Icelandic government, which is a Western government, isn't it? it is paying a woman, it has on its payroll a woman in the road department and this woman is a clairvoyant who is supposed to tell them when they build a new road, if that road is passing through the premises of a spirit of nature which will be disturbed and whenever the engineers plan a new road, this woman goes ahead with them and then suddenly she tells them don't build a road here because here is the premises of an elf or uh, something and if you disturb this elf there will be a lot of car accidents you will take revenge and in this spot there will be a bad spot on the road and so on and then believe it or not the Icelandic government which is just a European Union or whatever western type of government not only that they pay this crazy woman to see the elves and the goblins but also they take a detour around they ask the engineers to go one kilometer around they spend another hundred thousand dollars just going around and not to disturb the elf just because a woman said here there is the place of an elf. These things exist, and you see they are even uh, appearing in the mainstream culture with these things. And um, again, there are many, many examples that people observe this animistic thing. The last example which I would give to people is the one from West Africa, a story quoted often in psychological books with some German engineer owning a lumber mill in West Africa. Black workers, suddenly there is an accident. One of the blades of the lumber mill jumps of its hinges and the young black worker is cut across the chest really badly. And they go to the medicine man to the village in the evening and they said, look, Michael was cut across the chest badly. And the medicine man shakes his head and he says, this is not a good sign. Uh, it's a sign that the spirit of the machine is angry and it is wanting blood. And they go and tell it to the German owner, our medicine man, who is very smart, he makes rain, he does whatever, he heals us and whatever, he casts away demons, whatever he does, he told that the spirit of your lumber mill is thirsty for blood and needs to be appeased. Right. The German engineer couldn't care less about the mumbo jumbo of the black medicine man. They work up, another few days pass, another accident, one worker is cut across the arm so bad that he almost loses his arm, it's cut almost off completely. A little bit of rumor, the medicine man says, I told you, I told you that the spirit of the machine is bloodthirsty and it needs to be appeased. So the German guy doesn't want to strike and says, what do we have to do? Oh, you just have to call the medicine man, he would cut a black hand's throat, he will pour the blood all over the machinery, make some ritual, the spirit will be up. Ah, it's too much for the German engineer. So, it goes again and another few days pass and the third worker is this time killed. At which time the workers go on strike, there's a lot of fuss, whatever. Uh, finally, they call the medicine man, he does the job, the accident stop." I don't even know if the story is true. I have read it in a book of psychotherapy just about this shamanistic magical way of looking upon things. Maybe the the events haven't happened that way actually. Maybe it's just a huge coincidence. But I told you this story to show you how that man was thinking. For him this was it. The lumber mill machinery had a spirit which an engineer could not see because an engineer would would think only about uh, smearing it with oil and Vaseline but the magic, the medicine man would say it has a spirit and therefore yes, even a lumber mill has its personality it can have its whims, it can have its own inner life which is of course very different of a human being's life because consciousness is so different but still it is there this being said I now told you where the sun salutation is coming from it's coming from such a culture and which way you are going to do it Depends on your personality. Some people are too shy to admit, but actually they would try a little bit of this, but they don't want their neighbors to know, and they don't want their family to know, that now they have gone so brainwashed and so crazy, that they actually try to feel the sun, or to communicate with the sun. But after all, uh, you know, an experiment is an experiment. You can always play. Which way you do it is entirely up to you. The sun salutation, therefore, from a strictly uh, yogic standpoint, is a way of communicating with the sun, personally or impersonally, depending on you. You can communicate with the energy of the sun, or on a more complete level, like on an emotional basis. The sun salutation is, therefore, an exercise which is made of twelve different body positions. Why twelve? Because traditionally the Sun in Vedic Astrology is symbolized by the number twelve. That would be because of the twelve astrological signs through which the Sun is going every year. So traditionally twelve is the number of the Sun, twelve is the magic number of the Sun and that is why in the Vedic tradition the Sun is ascribed twelve different facets or personalities and these twelve different personalities they have names like one of them is Surya but the sun is not called only Surya the sun is called Savitri the sun is called Aditi the sun is called Hiranya Garbha. the sun is called Bhaskara the sun is actually called 12 different names which you have received today in your papers and each one of them means something Hiranyagarbha means for example the golden embryo because the sun is like golden it's like uh, the egg of the universe and golden. It's poetic. This time is metaphoric poetic names. Or the sun is called Aditi, which means the first of them, the first to appear, because they had this intuition that in this universe of ours, the sun is the first one that arised cosmologically, cosmogonically. So in this way, the sun is having 12 personalities, 12 different names, and therefore for each one of them there is one position. These 12 positions are related in a fluid way, so you are in position number one, you go in position number two, from position number two you go in position number three, and there are twelve such positions, so it's a chain of twelve positions, fluidly related in a continuous motion, and also with a certain breathing, now you inhale, now you hold your breath, now you exhale, now you inhale again, and there is a pattern of breathing. Now, I would like to tell you one thing from the very beginning about the practice of the sun salutation. The sun salutation is just a set of 12 movements and actually to do one, it takes approximately one minute, between 40 seconds and 80 seconds, depending how quickly or slowly you do it. It is possible to do the sun salutation also in approximately 10 seconds but then you are doing it like a machine, like a machine gun and there is no time for concentration, there is no time for energy that's exactly what I said, turning yoga into a kind of gymnastic sport that is not at all the thing because there is no time for focusing on the sun when you do the sun salutations always your attention is on the sun you are having a channel with the sun that is why many people either they keep their eyes closed and they focus on the sun theoretically you can do the sun salutation at midnight because the sun still exists. Although you don't see it, the sun is somewhere down there and telepathically you can take contact with it because it still exists. But most yogis would prefer to do the sun salutations in full sunshine and because in tropical countries the midday sun is a bit disturbing, they would do it at sunrise or at sunset when the sun is red, beautiful, friendly, and harmonious and that is why most yogis would perform sun salutations early in the morning or at sunset here in this particular spot on earth the sun is rising a bit late it comes out of there a bit eight o'clock or something and it's already a bit hot and that is why we usually do the sun salutations to the sunset today is a cloudy day but actually most of the days at sunset you can see the sun there so you can still have the feeling. So when you do the sun salutations, you better do them in the open. You can do them in a closed room, and then the resonance is a matter of the mind. But it is so much more easy to do it on the beach or in an open place, and you just feel the communication between you and the sun. That's the beauty of it. It's an exercise in nature. It's an exercise of communicating with nature directly. I wanted to say also, that this sun salutation, is by no means unique. That means I can almost say that as many ashrams and as many gurus in India, so many sun salutations. I suppose that there are more than a hundred versions of the sun salutation and it is almost impossible for one to say this is the only right one. My sun salutation is the sun salutation. However, I also want to say that approximately 90% of the yoga books who give some salutations, they would give one. There is one which is most standardized and that one is considered to be the traditional one and so on. That is why the the one which you receive today is actually the one closest to the standard and that is why it would be closer to be right. I also would like to warn you that there exist many fake sun salutations just invented or uh, twisted a little bit by some people the most simple way to identify the fakeness of it is by the number of positions if a sun salutation is made of 12 positions it is the right one if it is made of 11 or 15 or whatever it's not right anymore because the sun is having 12 different aspects the standard traditional sun salutation has 12 positions For each of these 12 positions there is associated a mantra which comes from the name of the Sun and that's why they need to be 12. But even among those who are 12, you will still find some variation. That one yoga school from India, from East India, says when you bend you should exhale, and then you should hold the breath, and then you should inhale, and another one says no, when you bend you should exhale, then you should immediately inhale, and then you should hold the breath. It's just like some tiny differences about breathing, or some tiny differences about that you should keep the hands like this, or like this, or I don't know how small differences generally, and that is why I would like to say that I cannot also claim that the sun salutation which I am teaching you today is the best, the sun salutation, the one and only. There may exist a sun salutation which is better and stronger than the one that I am showing you today. Feel free to search for such things. And there can be a sun salutation which is more close to the traditional one, although I think that this one which you would see today is pretty traditional, is as close as it can get. But it has just only one characteristic for which it is being taught to you. It is the sun salutation which I have done, which I have been taught in which I have taught to my pupils. In yoga, I am never able to teach you something which I have not done. And therefore, I can transmit from my aura only what I already have in my aura. Therefore, there may be many other nice sun salutations, but since I haven't tried them and I haven't brought them to a certain level, I am not able to transmit them to you. You might find someone else who will transmit those sun salutations to you. I, using my own discrimination and intelligence, have simply tried to take the best sun salutation that I thought there is, but my intelligence, like everybody else's, is limited, and therefore you might find a better version of the sun salutation. Many people notice, and I would like to forest that, because it's a question which comes often, that the sun salutation which I am going to teach you here, this afternoon is actually slightly different there is one breathing difference in two phases from the one which you had on your papers that's because both are right there is no mistake it's on purpose done so you can do it both this way which is number one or in the one shown in the papers which is given as an alternative i have tried them both both of them work that one is a bit more difficult and a bit more incomplete that's why i prefer this one which you are being taught today So, this is the story about the practice of the sun salutation. When you do it, you keep focused on the sun. One last mention about this energy of the sun. Normally, we are going to say that the energy of the sun corresponds to Manipura Chakra. That's the standard teaching in yoga. Fire is on Manipura Chakra. Wait, but the sun is giving us light, not only fire. It is giving us life, not only fire. And also the sun is a symbol of the center because everything spins around the sun. It's like the sun is the center of our little universe and therefore symbolically on other levels the energy of the sun can also be felt in Anahata chakra as a source of life and also some energy of the sun can be felt even in Sahasrara. Sometimes God is compared to the sun like being unique, like being the one who shines light, who is self-effulgent and born out of itself and whatever. So in this way, actually the energy of the sun can be felt in many ways, and the yogis, for a reason which is a bit twisted, they actually did not want to make a sun salutation for Manipura, but they wanted to make a sun salutation for Anahata. So although in 99% of the cases when we speak about the Sun we think about the fire of the Sun in the Sun Salutation we actually try to feel the energy of the Sun mostly in the heart like the aspect which gives life and light that is why actually the number 12 is the number of spokes of Anahata Chakra it is Anahata Chakra which is characterized by the number 12 and for this reason I mean this reason was because the yogis were trying to filter the best part of the energy of the Sun I can tell you but very briefly that the energy of the Sun in traditional magic, astrology, occultism is not always considered to be nice because remember that too much Manipura Chakra is very good for health, I said this morning, right? but too much Manipura Chakra can also create a lot of ego, pride, arrogance Uh, selfishness. That is why the sun is having a bright side and a dark side. The alchemists they said that the sun has got a dark brother, a shadow sun or the black sun and uh, it was worshipped in magical traditions in black magic traditions that means if you look a little bit at the cult of the sun you are going to find out that it was actually not very sweet and not very nice. Not only that in Vedic, in Indian Astrology, and in Western Astrology, the Sun is not considered to be one of the beneficial planets. There are seven classical planets in old Astrology, three of them are nice, three of them are nasty, and one of them is neutral. The three nasty planets are Saturn, Mars, and the Sun, yes the Sun is considered to be not such a beneficial planet because of its burning character and brings too much egoism, too much personality, too much strife and whatever. That is why you can look upon the cultures of the Sun and you will say that all of them had a bright point and then they decayed. For example Plato in his discourse about Atlantida, the legendary Atlantida, says that the people of Atlantida learned to harness the energy of the Sun And they became the rulers of the world. It was the capital of the world. But he says, the people of Atlantida, they also fell into abuse. They learned, they got so much power from harnessing the power of the sun, that they started enslaving all the neighboring nations and people on the earth. So they became like the ruler of the earth in a slavery way. And eventually they went to the bottom of the ocean, because they disturbed the universe so much. Take the Incas, oh, today we are complaining, the barbarian Spaniards, they invaded Mexico and uh, South America, and they destroyed the beautiful Mayans culture, they destroyed the beautiful Inca culture, and so on. Really, would you like to know what Pizarro, or whoever it was, discovered when they reached Machu Picchu, the capital of the Inca Empire, when they conquered the Incas? When they reached the capital they discovered that just a couple of weeks before they reached there, the Incas had been celebrating the birthday of the king of the Inca king. You know how they celebrated the birthday, the Incas? It was not nice. They took forty thousand slaves, they ripped their hearts open alive, and they offered it to the sun on the altar at some birthday, right? To sacrifice forty thousand human beings, to give the pumping sun, give the throbbing heart to the sun. Uh, You would want to know that the same the Mayans did. All those beautiful pyramids, the pyramid of the sun and of the moon and whatever, they're actually used for human sacrifice in which the heart was given to the sun. Uh, I don't know what you think about it, but I say better the Spaniards and their Catholic stuff than these guys who are offering human hearts to the sun. I'm glad that the Incas have disappeared because of this because they are not nice people to be around. That is why some of these cultures they actually became cruel, decadent. The Inca king had such a manipura that he thought that 40,000 people can die for him, monstrous. So did the Egyptian pharaohs, so did Le Roi Soleil, Louis XIV of France, Uh, the Xan king, I am the state, I am the only important person here, right? So did the Japanese uh, emperors and so on. The Japanese emperor is considered to be a direct descendant of the sun goddess until today. He is a divine being. So were the Egyptian pharaohs who put people to work to build pyramids and so on. And whoever, look in the history of this planet and you'll find that the sun cults, they have a bright side and they also have a personality exacerbation side which is nasty. That is why To make the long story short, the yogis have tried to suck from the sun only the beautiful part, to suck the bright side, and they said you should approach this sun through Anahata Chakra. And that's why they conceived this sun salutation for harmonizing it. Now, briefly, before we do it because I spoke so much, what can we expect from the sun salutation? Simply, down to earth, I mean, okay, you can expect to become the friend of the sun. It would be nice to have a big friend up there who is governing everything in the solar system. But more down to earth, what can you expect? One, the sun salutation, because of the inflow of solar energy, is bringing a lot of healing energy in the body, a lot of purification, especially at the level of the heart chakra, that means blood, blood circulation, skin. Skin problems disappear very nicely with sun salutation, allergies, Forms of allergy, like skin allergy or internal immune system allergy, like hay fever and stuff like this. Um, All kind of purification can be done, like if you want to purify your system from too much drugs, too much this, too much that. Doing the sun salutation purifies nicely. Generally arousing of the heart chakra and harmonizing of the aura with the sun. You know that we are governed on this planet by biorhythms. Everything is happening according to the rhythm of the Sun and the Moon. We have good days, bad days, you know, the studies of the biorhythm, the emotional, the physical and the intellectual biorhythm of the human being, etc, etc. So, telling you this, I am saying that the human field of energy is not harmonized with the Sun anymore. We are not children of nature. We live in cities far from nature. We eat different from nature, and that's why our aura is not synchronized. Simple example, human beings in all the primitive cultures, again primitive, they for example sleep in the night and stay up in the day. But for example, people who live in modern cultures, they very often stay up in the night until very late hours, and then they sleep in the daytime. That shows a disharmony. We are in disharmony with the sun. I knew people who are going to bed at 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning when the sun was rising. It's like they are completely reversed and they said no, but I feel very good in the night, I work very... Yes, you work, but still look at the people who live in the nature. They are diurnal. The human being is not a nocturnal animal. It is made by nature to be diurnal and therefore if you stay up in the night, You will lose your energy you'll become neurotic you'll become stressed up you'll become worn out you need to sleep in the night at least from time to time that's why the yogis have got a lot of stories about this sleep at the right time wake up in the morning whatever i have known just to give you an example of how this works i have known many people one of them i always remember there was a girl who was an editor in an editing house she always worked in the night and she went to bed at 6 o'clock in the morning. She did three weeks of sun salutations. This was over for the rest of her life. She simply said, after I did three weeks of sun salutations, I could never sleep when the sun was up. As soon as the sun was up, I felt electrified. She said, I felt like the little birds which 5 o'clock in the morning, chip, 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 chip they already sing very joyfully because the sun is coming up. It's like the life is coming up again. It's like... There is a source of energy. So this girl simply said, I have to start sleeping in the night again, because my bio simply changed completely. I started feeling the energy of the sun. Actually, she said, I fell in love with the sun. I love the sunlight. I love the sunshine. I love this bright yellow golden light which the sun is living. And she said, every time the sunlight was coming in my room, I jumped up like my lover would come in the room. It's like I was in love physically, personally with the sun and wow, the presence of the sun was exhilarating to me even in an emotional way there can come much more deep effects from working with the sun and with the solar energy I will mention two of them which I have witnessed myself they are on the field of paranormal already and they can be considered madness when people do the sun salutations and I have tried it, believe me uh, it means not believe me verify me on it, that's what I meant to say, I just meant to say that verification is close, is at hand, that for example when you do the sun salutations regularly, your relationship with the sunshine energy changes completely, for example a person who does the sun salutations and works nicely on the solar energy, also yoga, is never afraid of getting sunburned, You know that people today are very paranoid with ozone layer holes and with getting cancer in the skin and people would say, oh, but my skin is so sensitive and so on. I have tried this, as you probably could see, I am a red-headed type of person with freckles and everything, so my skin is pretty white and pretty sensitive to the sun. When I was a child, I couldn't stay much in the sunshine and I would get burned immediately. When I have started doing yoga, I have experienced that I could go in the first day of the year when I have exposed my body to the sun, I could go and stay five hours, eight hours straight, naked in the sun, do asanas all day long on the beach and get not burned, just get wonderfully tanned. So in this way, I could verify that actually you can put it in two ways, the yogic, mechanic way. If your aura is harmonized with the sun, it's like your body gets the capacity to process the energy of the sun. It absorbs it and it doesn't react violently to it. It builds very nicely. You feel full of fire. It feels wonderful. After 20 days you do yoga naked on the beach in the sunshine. It feels amazing. Your body transforms. Any one of you has the possibility after you do some yoga course, of course we will not finish it, but uh, after you do some yoga and you know enough yoga, take a holiday someplace and in a bikini or naked do yoga on the beach for 25 days every day morning 2 hours, 3 hours, afternoon 2-3 hours and see what will happen, you won't recognize your body it becomes such a wonderful feeling and you see immediately that your body reacts in a different way to the sunshine I have tried not to do this and to see that my body was reacting like before that is why I am telling you that the body reacts in a totally different way to the solar energy And the last of them, I know people, and I have seen this phenomenon happening three or four times in my life, with people who got so beautifully in harmony with the energy of the sun, that they claim that they can change weather. Basically, they claim that if they did the sun salutation, they can make the sun come out. Even in a cloudy day, they claim that even if it would be just 500 meters left and right of them, there will always be a patch of opening in the clouds, they will be able to see the sun, Because they were in love with the sun and the sun was in love with them. They are just friends of the sun and every time they called upon the sun, the sun would show up and answer to the appeal. I will leave you the pleasure of seeing if this is possible. Of course this takes a real involvement, going deep in it and feeling indeed these things. I for one have seen it not once, just to be a coincidence, but several times, therefore I can tell you that as crazy as it sounds, it actually seems to be possible. In this way, the sun salutation has many dimensions, some of them magical, some of them purely healing, and that's why the sun salutation is, after all, a very beautiful technique, and people get like to do it. I have spoken so much, there will be so short time. Now, I will, I'm going to show you the positions, and then I'm going to get one of the others to do it in a fluid way, so I can describe what you do. Do you feel okay to do it? So, okay. Please come and do it here so I can speak. It's much more difficult for me to speak and not to breathe at the same time. So I'll get somebody to do it. It's my last time in the field of teaching. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com/downloads.